0: All right, this morning, we are talking about the suffering servant. Suffering servant. And and here's the, the thing. If you want to know anything about Christianity, this is it. That Jesus died in our place. He takes on our sin so that we might get His righteousness. So that before the Father, we are considered perfect. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us that's the the big word is substitutionary atonement all right now we're going to talk and we're going to try to break it down Um, there's no other way to say it other than that and so we need to understand it so here's the thing there is a standard set right it has nothing to do with jumping has to do with holiness God has set a standard it is perfection that's the bar we have to jump now here's the bad news none of us in the room cleared that jump we all Hit it and fell on our face. We are messed up people. The awesome part is God sends somebody to meet the mark so that in him we meet the standard. And that's where Jesus as our substitute is such a big deal. So uh, I'll go with this. Sometimes you don't realize how much trouble you are in until it's too late. All right. Sometimes you don't realize how much danger you are in until it's too late. So I'll just give you uh, some brief examples from my life. Played football with a guy that got bit by a brown recluse spider, has a little red dot on his leg, right? Not a big deal. Until the red dot, which he thought was a pimple, wouldn't go away, turned into a black hole, right? He finally, after a week, goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, hey, listen, I'm going to try to help you, but I'm not worried so much about your leg as much as I'm worried about your life. He goes, if the antibiotics don't work, we're going to have to take this leg off just so you can live because the poison has gotten to his bloodstream and it gotten almost to his bone. So sometimes you don't realize how much trouble you are in until it's too late. Thankfully for Bobby Lamana, the antibiotics worked. Not only was his life saved, his leg was saved. All right. Another example, Um, we're playing a football team from Ohio, Uh, my buddy runs across the right side of the line, gets into the end zone, we win in double overtime, he runs, I try to catch him, he's bigger than I thought, I fall back, the team is coming on the field, everybody jumps on. Have you ever been in the bottom of a pileup? You can't breathe, right, and you can't say anything because you can't yell because all the air is sucked out of you. That's a scary spot to be. Now, thankfully, we didn't celebrate too long. Everybody got up, got up. We were able to walk away. But sometimes you don't realize how much trouble you're in until it's too late. And then uh, my wife and I were driving down to North Carolina to visit family. We're making good time. I always see, if you, if you ever look up GPS, estimated time of arrival as a challenge. Right? You try to knock off minutes getting there. So we're moving. We're getting down the road. Everything's going well. But then all of a sudden there's some snow flurries. All right? A couple of snowflakes. Not a big deal. We'll get through this, no problem. Well, it turns out it was a problem. We kept flying through, slowing down a little bit, but when you're going 60 and the road's covered with snow, you're in trouble and it happened just like that. And so sure enough, the truck in front of us uh, hit the brakes and went to the left and then swerved to the right going off the road. And so to miss that truck, I'm trying to slow down, so I'm tapping on my brakes and in the middle of tapping, we caught ice and did a 360 donut on the highway there's a Jeep right behind me and then he's looking right at me. That's a scary feeling. So luckily we missed the Jeep. We go into the median and I'm in a Honda Accord, right? And I'm thinking it's just a matter of time till someone else slips and drills us. Uh, thankfully we got up, got out of the median, took the next exit, and I'm still shaking. Julianne's shaking. We made it, but sometimes you don't realize how much trouble you're in until it's too late. So, With that said, what what I'm talking about today, when you see the suffering servant and you see how bad it goes for the servant, understand this. This is your one and only lifeline. Before God, on your own, you are not all right. It is a scary thing to stand before a holy an awesome God unless you know personally this suffering servant so don't wait until it's too late because here's the deal we got we got some uh, young kids in the room um, we'll say Tracy Pope here uh, how old is Tracy 11 months. 11 months right he's almost a year here's the deal for him we think he has a lot of time right but we'll say he makes it to 100. He has 99 years in one month, and then guess what? He'll stand before God. But that's not promised. We could stand before God today. Could be a week, could be a month, could be a couple years, could be 99 years in a month. But here's the deal all of us will stand before God. That's right, Tracy. All of us will stand before God. And now here's the deal how are you going to be standing? Will you be standing in your own strength, or will you be resting in what Christ has done for you? How you answer that question will make an eternal difference. So, with that said, let's dig into the text. So, uh, this is a little bit different than how I I normally preach. Um, I'm going to explain a couple terms, which I know they're big words. And so, with our children, so what I'll do with Balin and Camden tonight, I'll ask them these words and see if they can summarize them just a little bit. So, I just give them key words that I want them to know. All right, so I understand these are big words. We're going to help break it down for our children. Uh, But they're words that we need to know. So substitutionary atonement. Jesus died in my place and took upon himself my sin, guilt, and condemnation and endured my punishment, giving me his righteousness. He is our substitute, right? That's pretty uh, simple. We understand how substitutes work. Um, If you have a teacher that's out, you bring in a substitute, someone taking their place. That's what we're saying here. So someone paying for sin, we needed a substitute to make the payment that we couldn't pay. Substitutionary t- Number two, propitiation. propitiation. Um, this means Jesus takes on the wrath of the Father so that we get God's favor. If Jesus consumes all the wrath, all that is left is favor, and that comes to us. We see this by Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice. Christ satisfies the demands of a just God and appeased the divine wrath for all who believe. Jesus turns the Father's wrath into favor for those who believe. That is a beautiful truth. A beautiful truth. You see this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. If you're taking notes, write that down. 2 Corinthians 5.21. A pretty clear picture of the gospel. It says, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. Right? Cortez didn't have to jump. He wasn't one that volunteered. Kendra did and Balan did. They were supposed to jump. But, They elected Cortez to come and make their jump for them. And so Jesus, having no sin, was able to pay for our sin. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So that's one, propitiation. Number two, redemption. Redemption. And one reason why our church name is Redemption is because of this fact. What you see it is it's a transference. We're in a different kingdom. We used to be in darkness, but now we're in light. We used to be in the kingdom of death. Walking in our sin, but now we're transferred to the kingdom of life because of new life in Christ. And, and what we see in Covington is as people come to Christ, they go from death to life, darkness to light. It's a beautiful picture. And so we want to put it before the people. That's why we are redemption church. It's what Jesus has done for us. Colossians 1:13 and 14 is our verse. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sin. So propitiation, redemption, and then the last one, reconciliation. Reconciliation. At the cost of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, believers, those who belong to Christ, were once dead in sin, separated from and enemies to God, now experience a right relationship with God. That is reconciliation. That's a beautiful thing. Where there used to be hostility, there is now peace. It's a beautiful picture, and that comes through someone stepping up in our place, paying for our sin. All right? Now, as we get to this text in Isaiah 52 and 53, I want us to understand, this is 700 years before Christ. So Easter, we look back how many years? About 2,000. Today, we're looking looking back about 2,700 years. So before Jesus comes, Isaiah is able to say, hey, look for this servant. He is coming. And what we see in Acts chapter 8, Philip's uh, walking around filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit draws him to this guy from Ethiopia. And he says, hey, run up to this guy from Ethiopia, jump up into his chariot and help him understand who I am. Right. And so he gets to the chair and uh, the dude's reading this scroll. Right. They don't have books like we have. They have scrolls. And He's reading the scroll and it's in Isaiah. Guess what chapter he's reading in Isaiah. Isaiah 53. And he asks Philip, hey, who is this talking of? Who is this speaking about? I don't understand this. And it says Philip from this text that we're going to cover in Isaiah, explain to him how the scriptures are pointing to Jesus. So here is my goal today. My goal is that you see Jesus from Isaiah 52 and 53, because if you miss him, you miss out on life. And the crazy part, going back to sometimes we don't realize how much trouble we're in until it's too late. There are many people that hear the gospel and think they don't need it, right? If you're healthy today, if you have money in the bank, if you have a job, Uh, if you have a good relationship uh, with your spouse or or with somebody, um, you can think, you know what, I I don't need God. And that's a scary spot to be. We are in desperate need of a Savior. And you want to know who is impossible to save? Someone who thinks they need no rescue. So my goal is that we see our need from this text. Are we ready to do some work? Let's pray. If you have your Bibles, be in Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, I'm going to pray, then we'll get to work. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you magnify your son. I pray that you help us see him in this passage. I pray that uh, you give us a passion to follow after him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 52, and we're going to look at... the, The cool thing about this, this paragraph, is it's made up of three verses five times. And so what happens is you see... Christ is going to win. He is victorious. And then you see suffering, and then you see substitutionary atonement. Then it comes back to Christ is going to suffer, back to victory. That's how this is laid out. right? It's an arrow which the the whole point of the text is Jesus is our substitute. So if you're going to memorize one verse this week, let it be Isaiah 53, verse 5, because that's what this text is all about. When we get there, we'll highlight it. We'll make it the point of this sermon. So before we get there, let's get to verse 13, chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Jesus will act wisely. We have victory through suffering. And here you see Jesus will act wisely, but it doesn't look like wisdom to us. Right? A lot of us try to avoid suffering. I was biting, chomping on ice, and I chipped a tooth. And eventually, I was like, ah, it'll just go away, right? It won't be too bad. Well, guess what happens with a chipped tooth? It doesn't get better. It gets worse, right? And so sure enough, eventually, a little piece fell out, a little piece fell out, and eventually it hits a nerve. And when it hits that nerve, that is painful. But it was only more pain that led me to go to the dentist because I knew that was going to be painful. Nobody likes to go through pain. And yet what we see here, Jesus is going to act wisely and walk through suffering. Why? Because on the other side of suffering came our victory. So he acts wisely. The servant will be high and lifted up. You, you see this, um, the second part of the, verse 13. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. How does that happen? That's what we're going to get to. So right after Jesus lifted high, look at verse 14 because it doesn't make sense as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. He went through something so severe that you couldn't even recognize him. Then look like a man. That's how bad the cross is. That's how bad the crucifixion is. There's something going on here with this servant that's really, really bad. Um, you guys know uh, this past week there were a couple injuries in the NBA. This guy named Joseph Nurchik landed and his leg was broken. Um, it's one of those things like when you're like, oh, I can't, I, you can't look at that. That's what happens with Jesus on the cross. It is brutal. And so we see this. He is high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. But then the next verse says that he's going to be beaten beyond recognition. It doesn't make sense. So we go to verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Oh, I get it now now for us we don't know what that means sprinkle from it it's going back to the day of atonement right so the people would once a year come together and they would have sin to be paid for and what happens is the high priest would come they would make a sacrifice of an animal and they would sprinkle the blood as representation that hey your sins are paid for but the problem is they had to do it year after year after year after year because that would never suffice that never was an adequate substitute Right? The people would continue to sin. Payment would continue to be made. And then Jesus comes, someone who can pay finally and fully the payment required. And so now when you hear that language sprinkled, all of a sudden now you're thinking of atonement, which we're going to see here in a couple of verses. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. The most important people on the planet will be blown away by what God is doing. For that which has not been told, them they see, and that which they have not heard, they under. Stand. What's so confusing here? What, what can they not hear and understand? It's this. How can a righteous God allow sinners into his presence? Right? You can't just sweep sin under the rug. Ah, oh, you know what, Ben? You tried hard. You messed up here and here. Uh, it's okay. Come on in. It's not how God does it. He wouldn't be just that way. And so th- this is unfa- How does God do this? He does that by coming himself to make a payment. He doesn't sweep it under the rug, he pays for it. So that gets us to our next group of verses. And this is what we'll see. Um, It's pretty interesting. Paul uses that verse, taking it to the kings and telling people what they haven't understood and that they haven't heard to take the gospel to the nations. Like people have to hear this message. We keep going. 53 verse 1. Who has believed what they have heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, real quick, arm of the Lord, that means his strength. So I want you to think of something right now. If I said, hey, show me how strong you are, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Show me how strong you are. A lot of you, some of you would flex. Some of you wouldn't want to be called out for a volunteer on this, right? Uh, I don't want to show anybody my biceps. That's why I don't wear cut off shirts, because I'm not super strong. Some of you guys are. Some of you guys like looking in the mirrors when you weight lift instead of lifting the weights because you like the muscles that you see, right? It's a point of strength. Some of you would point to a bank account for a source of strength. Some of you will look at athletic ability, past, uh, present, or future, right? All of us have different strengths. Some of us are smart, that's a strength. Here we see that the arm of the Lord has been revealed, but this is crazy because His strength isn't how you and I would define strength. So let's see. All right, so how is the strength of the Lord going to be revealed? Verse 2, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Jesus was not special. He didn't walk around with a halo around his head. His face wasn't glowing. There was nothing special about Jesus that you would think, oh, this is God in the flesh. And then we keep going. And he had no beauty that we should desire him. He wasn't going to be on The Bachelor. He went in the And so what happens is, is what you see. Jesus is born in a small town called Bethlehem. And not only that, there wasn't any room for him there. He was born in a barn in Bethlehem. And not only that, he grew up in a place called Nazareth. One of his boys said, hey, is there anything good that comes out of Nazareth? Because nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. Jesus isn't around in a palace. He isn't uh, clothed with his awesome, beautiful, expensive clothing. He doesn't have armies at His right hand. There's no general in His background. He's just a regular dude, looks like a regular dude, and yet the fullness of God dwelling in Him. Fully God, fully man. That is the strength of the Lord. And then we'll keep reading. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Have you ever missed something? Like, ah, man, I should have saw the value of that. That's what happened with Jesus. For 33 years, God walked the earth and we missed it. And people yelled out, Crucify him. God in the flesh. And yet we see this is the strength of the Lord? It doesn't make sense. So let's see how this is strength. This gets us to the main part of the chapter. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5. This is the most important verse of the text. Four times in it you see substitutionary atonement. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Four times that you cannot miss this. You want to know why you see the power of God here? It's because in his suffering we have victory. The wrath of God is satisfied by this substitution. You want to know how you can have your transgressions paid for? Jesus had to pay for them. You want to know why Jesus was crushed? It was because of our sin and rebellion. You want to know how you can have peace? It's because Jesus took on your punishment. You want to be healed? It's by Jesus taking your wounds. There is no other way to have peace with God except through Christ. That is the substitutionary atonement. And then you see in verse 6, just in case we missed it, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now listen, I understand how this sounds. Right? This, is, this is humbling. This is not uh, encouraging if, if you rely on yourself for your confidence. Like you can't get to God by saying, I'm a pretty good person. I think I'll be all right. Because right here it says all of us have gone astray like sheep. We've all gone our own way. We're all separated from God. And yet here's the beautiful remedy to that, to our wondering. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, here's the good news here. Everybody in the room, though we've wandered from God, can be rescued by God because Jesus paid for it. Now, again and again, what you see in the Bible is that we are saved by faith. We are saved by faith. We are saved by faith. Salvation is offered to all. But you have to receive it by faith. This is what Jesus has done. Do you believe that? So there's a a couple of questions that I want to ask. Um, Why do you think Jesus suffered on the cross? Don't answer out loud. I don't want you to answer. I just want you. Why do you think Jesus went to the cross? Right. It's a symbol you see on church buildings. It's a symbol we wear around our necks. Have you ever made it personal? Have you ever thought Jesus was there because I couldn't get to God on my own? He had to come for me. Number two. Do you think you need someone to stand in your place before God? I have no answers for the person who thinks they're all right before God on their own. There's nothing I can say to that. If you think you're fine before God on your own, good luck. Because every time I've seen God show up, it's a very scary thing. Unless you're in Christ. Number three, how serious of an issue you think your sin is right all those times that you've messed up that you've missed the mark you know God's standard and you haven't made it how serious do you think that is because I think a lot of times people are like well I haven't killed anybody I haven't done this at least I'm not this at least I haven't done this and we kind of shrug off sin but here when you see the servant suffering you can't just shrug that off oh my goodness it cost the son of God his life that means sin is very serious That means I don't dabble in it. That means I don't take it lightly. You see how serious it is. And then finally, do you have peace with God? See, I can't answer that for you, but you can. When you lay your head on the pillow tonight, I want you to think, am I okay before God? Because that's what Christ purchased on the cross. You see, don't let this just be something that happened 2,000 years ago. Make it personal because it still applies today. The same grace that saved the disciples, that saved Paul, that saved people throughout the years, is the same grace that will save you and me today. And it's just as powerful. Let's keep going. We're getting there. Number four, Isaiah 53, 7 through 9, we see he is silent through suffering. This is, this is unfathomable to me. Um, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. I don't know about you, but usually what happens is if someone says something bad to you, you respond by ripping them, right? And, and Jesus isn't that way. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers, is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now, you've got to understand who Jesus is. Remember that time he was asleep in the boat? He's hanging out with his disciples, and some of them are fishermen. Like, they know the waters and the waves. They're comfortable on the water. They know how to get through. And yet, on this occasion, they're scared to death. As a matter of fact, they go down to the boat and say, Hey, Jesus, do you not care that we're about to die? You need to wake up. You need to do something here. And Jesus is like, Okay, I got you. He gets up. He says, Peace be still. And what happens? The winds cease. The waves stop, and there is calm. With just a few words of Jesus, the storm stops. Or maybe you remember um, the guy that was uh, paralyzed and his buddies came, tore a hole in the roof. He dropped them down before Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees is like, who is this that he forgives sin? And Jesus, being God in the flesh, knowing what they were thinking, says, hey, what's harder? To forgive a man his sin or to heal him? And he says, just so you know that I am the Son of God and I can forgive sins. I say to you, take up your mat and walk. Just a few words, and a man who had never walked and is paralyzed gets up, takes his mat, and walks home. That's how powerful the word of Christ is. Or, in creation, there is nothing, God speaks it, and there is something. It wasn't a hard thing for God to create the mountains and the oceans and the universe. He speaks it into existence. And now he's on trial and has done nothing wrong, and yet he remains silent he could have wiped out the roman empire with one sentence and yet he is quiet why because he was on a mission so we keep reading we'll go verse 8 but oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living stricken for the transgressions of my people he was cut off of the land of the living you know what that is right he was buried he was dead he was no more. That's what they thought. But we know better. And they made his grave with the wicked, right? He perished like a common criminal and, yet, and with a rich man in his death. He was buried. Uh, cool part, we'll talk about this a little bit next week, about how he was buried in a rich man's tomb. Jesus doesn't even own any property. He doesn't have a tomb to be buried in, so he has to borrow one. It says, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, he was treated as a criminal, though he committed no crime. He never, ever spoke up for his own rights. Why? We'll see this in the last part. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The will of the Father to crush the Son. Why? The same thing could be said of Jesus in Hebrews 12 too. He said, for the joy endured the cross. Like You read that like, there's nothing fun about that. There's nothing to look forward to that. Like, that's a painful, excruciating painful event. And it says, for the joy endured the cross, scorning his shame, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Why did Jesus, for the joy, endure the cross? Because he saw through the cross. The cross wasn't the destination. Right? Salvation to all, obedience to the Father was the destination. That's the joy he had. He's like, yes, I can do this. It's worth it. The same thing God is saying here. It was my will to crush my son. Why? Because he put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. You want to know how you and I can be sons and daughters of God? Because he was crushed. And then we keep reading, he shall prolong his days. They thought he was in the land of the dead, cut off from the land of the living, but he wasn't. Three days later, he gets out of the tomb. He prolonged his days. There is an eternity with Jesus now available. And then he keeps going. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Victory through suffering, victory through being crushed. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. There's no condemnation for me before Christ, not because I'm a good dude, but because Christ purchased my righteousness. When God sees me, he sees the righteousness of his son. My sin has been paid for. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. This is a beautiful picture, how the weak become strong because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That is a beautiful picture. That is why God was able to crush his son. That is why Jesus enjoyed the cross because of what it purchased, that many are set free. That is a beautiful, powerful picture of the gospel. So when you see Isaiah 52 and 53, understand this. Jesus is the suffering servant. Have you ever made that personal? Not something that happened. All this is a history lesson. I've got a lot of information today. Have you ever made it personal? And and this is what I mean. Do you see Jesus' death for your sin? Do you see Jesus taking your place on the cross, paying for your guilt, giving you his righteousness? Or you can substitute yourself in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for Ben's disobedience. He was crushed for Ben's sin. The punishment that brought Ben peace was upon him. And by his wounds, Ben is healed. Like that's personal. When you're on the cross and he's giving his life up, It's not just something that, oh, yeah, Easter, we got to celebrate this. Yeah, it was a big deal. No, this is is very, very personal. And if you don't know the suffering servant personally, you're missing out on why he suffered in the first place. Have you ever looked to the cross, confessing your sin and trusting him for salvation? If not, why not do that today? Why put that off? You're not promised another minute. I think that's why some of you guys are here today to hear this message. God has good news for you. You can know him. You can have peace with God because of what Christ did on the cross. That is the greatest news you will ever, ever hear. And then there's a second group in here that knows Christ, and there's the application of his work. And we'll go through this quickly. Number one should bring us confidence. The work is finished. You don't have to do anything to be approved by God. You can't earn it. It's given to you. It's finished. It's finished. You're standing before God. You should have confidence in what Christ has done, the finished work of Christ. Number two, should bring humility. The suffering servant is God in the flesh. Look at how he suffered. Like we complain uh, if the air conditioning goes out in the summer. Uh, Last night we had a ton of rain, uh, our basement leaked. Like we were complaining last night uh, with the leak. Like that's nothing compared when you look to the suffering Christ has gone through for us. That brings humility Confidence in the work Christ has done, not myself. Humility because I bring nothing to the table in my salvation. Number three, holiness. Sin no longer controls you. You're set free by the cross of Christ. I was talking to a guy that was stuck uh, in drinking. And he'd go to the bottle for relief. And so on the weekends, he would get drunk to numb the pain. Um, He's in bondage to that. Because what happens? On Monday, he had to go back to work and suffer through the same stuff. Nothing was getting better. And so he'd run to the bottle as a Savior, and the bottle never can deliver. But in Christ, you have deliverance, you have freedom, you'll have peace, you'll have joy, you'll have a purpose, and you are freed to live a life of holiness. And he he did. He made the right statement. He's like, Ben, I can't come to Christ because I don't want to give up the bottle. And he was right. You can't do both. You can't run after Christ and run after sin. You're you're running from one and to the other. And what Christ did on the cross enables us to run to him in holiness. Uh, number four, compassion. Denying self, taking up a cross, and following Jesus. Uh, what Jesus did on the cross was very compassionate. He saw our state. He's like, ah, well, that stinks for them. They got themselves into it. Good luck getting yourself out of it. No, he says, I'm coming for you. That is an act. That's the greatest act of compassion. So his people should be compassionate people. We don't shrug our shoulders at people that are suffering and hurting. We run to them. If they're freezing, we give them a coat. If they're hungry, we give them food. We are a compassionate people because we've experienced the compassion of Christ. Number five, peace. We have peace with God. And this peace vertically enables us to work out peace horizontally. Do you guys know the peace of God? That should be working out in your relationships. Number six, endurance. Jesus said he endured the cross. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you can endure your race because of what Jesus had to endure. I don't know about you, but if walking with Christ is including suffering in your journey, understand this, Christ can get you through it. He understands how to run with endurance. I don't think any of us have been whipped like Jesus was whipped. None of us had nails going through our wrists or feet. None of us suffered the wrath of God being poured out on them. Like, that's some intense suffering. And he was able to endure which gives us strength to endure as we suffer. And then finally, victory. The finished work of Christ on the cross guarantees victory for those who believe. You want to overcome sin, you want to overcome Satan, you want to overcome yourself? It's found in another. It's not your own victory. The victory belongs to Christ, but in Him, you have your victory. That's the message of the gospel. And so today what I want to do, I want to finish a little bit differently. So Mr. Fight, Mr. Humes, if you guys would come up. We're going to sing a hymn. Right. It's called Jesus paid it all. Um, As we sing the words, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do business with God. You might need to pray. You might need to call on God to save you for the first time and experience peace that you've never known. Uh, You might be one of those guys that know Jesus, but you're like, I haven't taken sin very seriously. I haven't looked at holiness fairies. I don't have much confidence in what Christ has done. Uh, whatever it is, you need to spend time with God here. And then I want us to lift our voices and praise for what Jesus has done for us. All right? I'm going to pray, then we'll stand, and we'll sing. Then we'll get out. Father, thank you for your word. More importantly, thank you for your son who came and suffered for us that we might have life. I pray that you show us how to apply it to our lives. And so as the Spirit is moving, I pray that you guide people to call out on you for salvation. I pray that you convict us of sin in our life and how we can turn from it. Pray that you show us how to have confidence in what Jesus has done for us. I pray that we see with fresh eyes and fresh hearts the work Jesus did on the cross. I pray we make it personal. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.